We're going to continue our study in Colossians today, so let me pick up where we left off last week. But I want to start with a survey, okay? Before we dive in today, take your phones out. And some of y'all have been here long enough, know what we do with this. You're going to open up your text. If you want to participate in this, if you don't want to, there's no obligation to it. Regular text fees will apply. Um, so um, what you're going to do is you're going to open it up and you're going to text in to get into the survey. Uh, text into the number 22333 and then you're going to text GPC NWA in the message section, okay? Hit send. You will get a, a you're enrolled in the survey reply back. And then at that point, I want you to answer this question. Of the person that is in your life, could be persons, but let's zero in on one. The person that is in your life that grades you, okay? Could be school, could be a coach, could be a teacher, could be your spouse, could be somebody at work. Most For most people, it will be somebody at work who grades you, okay? And how do they grade you? What kind of grade do they give you? What kind of scores do you get from your direct report? from from the people in your life. There's two options here, all right? I want to break these down. And so throw the screen up, throw it up on the screen. So there's option A. There's not a middle section, so I'm forcing you to the one side or the other. Or there's option B. Let me read each one of them and break them down. Which one describes the greater in your life, okay? Could be, again, somebody at home, could be at school, could be at work. This number one greater in your life, which could be the number one voice in your life, shapes how you do and act and so forth, a, section A, I, I question if I'm ever heard, or I question if I'm heard. I'll just leave it at that. Do they really hear what I'm saying, feeling, going through, okay? Are they reactionary, okay? They tend to react instead of respond. Responding would be more calculated, thinking through, get the emotions down, reactionary, more emotional. Are they vindictive? You don't want to get on their bad side. If you get on their bad side, you're going to feel the repercussions. You're going to feel the heat in the kitchen, whatever the case may be. You're going to get the cold shoulder if it's at the home that that number one grader is. I don't know. All right? Talks about others as the problem. If they wouldn't have done this and if they would do that, then I'd be happy. And if they'd give me the, 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 the recognition that I need, the, the problem is always the person over there, Okay? And they live in a state of suspicion, okay? There's a suspiciousness about them. They can't trust. They, they're always doubting. They, they feel insecure, okay? Who is that greater A in your life or greater B, okay? Hopefully you have Bs, but be honest with yourself. Is the B, they listen to you with their heart and with their head. Now, sometimes it's facts and figures, but they're also hearing behind the facts and figures, okay? They're humble, Okay, you can approach them. They're approachable. Believes in you and encourages you. Okay, talks to others about the problem instead of talking about others. Okay, big difference there. And then trusting. Suspicion versus trust. So now you're going to fill in your little survey and you're going to text it in. And uh, so are they reactionary? Are they vindictive? Are they talking? You're going to put A, okay? Fill in A, send that in to, uh, to the survey, or B. Clearly, 74%, that's a good, that's, a, that's, that's good. But there is clearly a number of people 
25%, a quarter of the people, one in four of the people that are in this room, one of four people that were in the last, uh, last service are saying this, that the number one greater in my life is reactionary, vindictive, talks about others as the problem and is suspicious. Where does your number one greater fall? With that being said, as you continue to answer that question and fill that in, now let me turn the tables. How would those that you grade grade you? How would those that you influence see you? Do they see you as suspicious or trusting? Do you talk about people or do you talk to people about the problem? How do your people around you see you? Think, Mike, what in the world does this have to do with? It has everything to do with Colossians chapter 3 where we have been for several weeks. And if you look at this, you can take, because what I did is I read verse 8 and verse 12 again and again and again this week. And I just tried to glean out in, in, in today's language, using today's words, what would verse 8 describe? Verse 8 would describe group A, okay, or supervisor or greater A, which are the things that we're supposed to take out of our life, not supposed to have in our life, supposed to put off of our life, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Those are the things that we're supposed to get rid of if you are a follower of Christ. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ and you want to carry on with your obscene talk and your anger and your wrath and you want to keep blowing up and, hey, I'm just blowing up, you know, it, 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 it's just me being me and, uh, you know, you want to give all those kinds of excuses, then, then you can do that. But if the gospel... If Jesus has impacted you, there's a difference. There should, there must be a difference, okay? Let's look at verse 12 because verse 12 says a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart. They're hearing with their hearts. There's kindness, there's humility, there's meekness, there's patience. That's what's supposed to describe a follower of Christ. How does that happen? How does this happen? Verse 1 says it happens because those who have been raised with Christ, those who have had the, the power of Christ in His death and His burial and His resurrection, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1 says that if you have been raised with Christ, then this is what's supposed to happen to our life. We're supposed to take off certain things. We're supposed to put on certain things. Our life is supposed to be different. Now, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of Christ's death, and burial, uh, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross is it not only affects me in my shoes where I stand today, but if you were here last week, it ripples out. It ripples into your marriage. And here's what I want you to see this week because the, 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 uh, the hard shift that Paul does here is incredible. He goes from talking about the family to talking about work. He, he literally just draws another concentric circle and he says the ripple even goes out even further. That it's even going to affect how you work in the work relationships. What did Paul just do? The gospel doesn't just impact me where I stand. It impacts my family. It impacts even in the broader circle those that I work with. When you take the people you work with where you spend eight, nine, ten hours a day, when you take the family that you live with, he pretty much covered every square inch of your life and my life. So think about it. How's the gospel impacting your life today 
on, on an ongoing basis. Again, the family devotional guides, those Advent guides, they're there for you to help you see the gospel invade and, and ripple into your family for the next month. It's what we're doing with great intentionality, but it's going to also ripple out. It's going to ripple into our work life. And listen, if you don't believe me, you're going to need to get the pen out and start jotting down a bunch of verses because I want to show you very quickly how the, 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 the book, this book that I hold in my hand, the Bible, from cover to cover has tons to say about our work life, tons to say about our work ethic, yes, tons to say about how we approach our work and how we see our work and how we see our supervisors and how we see the people that we supervise. Here's just a few of them. Jot them down. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Okay, for those of you who think you're pretty special and you've got all the gifts and abilities and the team's not, not admiring you enough, you need to realize that your gifts and abilities come from God. But remember that the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Every dime I have, every, every bit of my 401k, every, every bit of my future, every bit of my savings, every bit of my life, everything that has a dollar figure attached to it is because God gave me a little bit of ability to make wealth. Now, some of us, He's given us more ability He's given us more wealth. Well, what we need to do is not be arrogant with that. We need to hold that even more gingerly the more we have given to us because we need to realize that God has given us the ability to do every bit of that. Think about it. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, If you don't work, you ought not eat. Now, that, that will stop some panhandling. Hey, 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 seriously, I mean, I'm not picking on anybody out there, but I'm just picking on anybody who's going to stand out and go, hey, I, 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 I need handouts. Socialism. You ought not, work, you ought not eat if, you ought, if, if you're not working. It's in the Scriptures. You can write me an email of hatred later. Um, <laughs> Proverbs 22, verse 29 says this. Good, oh, by the way, you want to go to Proverbs? I, I did a study one time through the book of Proverbs, and all I did, every, every chapter I read, chapter 1, chapter 2, read 31 days. It'll take you 31 days to read through the book of Proverbs. One entire month, devote to it, and jot down every time you see God giving you instruction on how you should work. Forty different verses in Proverbs, 31 chapters, does he talk about work ethics, okay? Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant to us. Here's one of them. Good workers, they'll be honored before bosses, presidents, and kings. You want to be recognized? Do good work. Do good work, and you will be recognized. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse, verse 18. Good labor is worthy of good wages. Now, that's the verse you jot down, and you write it to your boss and put it in a little letter, or you pray it over them, put it on a Post-it note or something like that, and just put it on their desk and walk out of the room. Maybe they won't even see who did it. But good Labor is worthy of good wages. And if you're that person in the HR, you're that person who gets to make up a salary, sometimes we want to see how little we can give somebody instead of how much we can give somebody. But let me speak to the person out there for a moment uh, who also is on that same line. Warning to those who hold pay from those who deserve it. So let's, let's make sure that we're generous where we need to be generous. But now for those who don't think they get enough, here's one for you. Luke three fourteen. Be content with your wages. 
Learning to be content is one of the things that Paul said in his own life that he had to learn to be content. Contentment is learned. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's not something that ha- it's something that you learn and acquire and take on in your life. That's just a smidgen of the verses that are out there. That's just a little. But the gospel impacts. God impacts. The work of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection impacts every bit of our life. Now, I want you to think about for a moment as you sit there and evaluated your grader, I want you to grade yourself on this. And let me give you some images here. So if you were to categorize yourself, and again, maybe you, you remember as a kid growing up watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And what did, how, what, how did the workers go to work? They whistled why they worked, okay? Okay, you know that? You know that song. Okay, which of the characters of Snow White, Seven Dwarfs, best describes you? And you can just write this over in the corner. You don't have to confess it. Are you sleepy? That means you go to work and you like, you like go as late as you can and you leave as early as you can. And you're not the person that's the most punctual and you're kind of sleepy and you're kind of bored all the time. And, you know, are you sleepy? Are you dopey? You don't have a clue what's going on and you need a lot of help. All right. And uh, you're grumpy. You're grumpy because of the boss. You're grumpy because of the customers. You're grumpy because of the pay. You're grumpy. You're just grumpy. Uh, or you're happy, all right? You're just like, hey, I can, I can handle anything. I can roll with anything. Which character best describes you? Write it in the corner and let you and the Lord deal with that this week. And you can watch Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at that today. Very quick, rapid fire that Paul does again, just like he did last week. Again, if you weren't with us, you have a family, you have a marriage, or you want to be married one day, then I would certainly encourage you to go back and revisit that. Okay, be worth your time, effort, and energy to make sure. We're talking here about a letter that Paul has written. He wrote it to the believers in Colossae. He had never been there as far as we know. And he writes, Epaphras was, was this new believer who became a believer in Ephesus while Paul was in Ephesus. And he goes back and he, we believe he's a church planter that helps start a church in Colossae. And so Paul is writing the church at Colossae and he's encouraging them in how the gospel impacts our life. And he uses some phrases here that we wouldn't normally use. He uses bondservant, where you, you see bondservant, you kind of need to think about employee. When you see master, you kind of need to think about employee employer, okay, or supervisor, something along those lines. Because we think servant, or your Bible may say slave, it's not, it's not in any shape or form referring to 18th century slavery and the oppression that that, uh, 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 of races. No, not, a, not at all. So it's more of an employment uh, recognition, and so we have to kind of base it on that. So let's jump in and read, beginning verse 12. Bond servants or slaves, it may say in your Bible. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters or employers. Not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, if you have your Bible, circle that. If you have it highlighted, I want you to just hang on to whatever you do. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance, the inheritance as your reward. 
You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, he will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there's no partiality. I don't care if you're the king of the pen. I don't care if you're the bottom of the pen. There is no partiality when it comes to God making things right. Masters, speaks to you the bosses now, treat your bondservants, your employees, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master, a boss, in heaven. So here it is. This is going to be a different paradigm than you might read in a MBA class or you might read in in, in a a, a Jim Collins book or you might read in something out there or go to some seminar, we're going to be looking at the seminar of the Apostle Paul and the impact of the gospel that it makes on believers. And I'll promise you this, that it's worth packaging up and putting into a seminar. And and I'll dare say this, there's not a, not a, a, a boss out there, a supervisor out there, they wouldn't want these principles to be described of their employees. And there's not a company that if they were to shape themselves around this gospel paradigm, that their business would not be better off. So let the gospel trickle down, ripple out, whatever you want to say, into our lives. So let's talk about three business ethics that we see in this passage. All right? I call them business ethics because that's what you study in school and what are ethics in, 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 in the business community, what, what are ethics and what's right and what's wrong and so forth. So let's talk about some rights. This is the right way of when the gospel impacts us. One is there needs to be a loyalty to the leadership. A loyalty to the leadership. This is very critical. Three ethic pills, if you will, to take. In this culture that he's talking about, loyalty is absolutely critical. And we're going to read verse 22 in a moment, but I just want us to understand about what loyalty, where it comes from. Loyalty originates in integrity. Integrity is a reflection of your character. And character is the echo of your soul. That's why the gospel is where the rock hits first, makes the ripple, and it ripples out into our character. And from our character, it feeds a healthy integrity. And then from integrity, loyalty is born. Now, you can be loyal as the day is long and be unethical and moral and lack integrity, but you're loyal to the company. What he's talking about here, this is soul integrity and character that is born, that ripples out into our lives. Look at verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Nobody masters me. No, no, no. Employer. Obey in everything your employer. Be loyal to your employee. Have integrity about you. Let there be a character that echoes from your soul. And let that be what you are known for in the company. Dwight Eisenhower said it like this. And he says, in order for men to be a leader, he must have followers. Well, that's not rocket science, right? And to have followers, he must have their confidence. Make sense? Hence, the supreme quality of a leader 
is unquestionable integrity. Without it, no real success is possible, no matter what, whether it is uh, on a section gang or a football field or an army or in an office. If a man associates him with uh, him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teachings and actions must square with each other. The first great need, therefore, is integrity in high purpose. Integrity is something that you cannot buy. It is something that you can throw away, though. It is something that is earned and given and must be kept and cherished. But it is something that originates in the character of who we are that is born out of the soul of who we are. And when that soul has been redeemed and touched by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it is made whole and right, and it can ripple out into character, it can ripple out into integrity, and it will ripple out into loyalty in our life. Notice what he said there. He said in verse 22, Don't obey your masters and everything, but hey, listen, don't do this by way of eye service or being a people pleaser. Don't be the brown noser on the team. Don't be the person who's just doing it whenever the boss is around, when the cat's away, the mice will play. If, if you don't show up on time for work when the boss is out of town, then don't show up for time for work when he's in town. If you don't give an honest day's work all the time, then there's integrity issues. Giving my best all the time, giving everything I can, not being that person who only gives eye service. The message says it like this. Don't do the minimum. That will get you by. Do your best. Do your best. Think about that for a moment. I read a study a few months ago out of Relevant Magazine. And not picking on millennials, Just I'm just reading, I'm just the messenger, Okay. Don't shoot the messenger. But this study was done of millennials, and it said of the millennial workers that in the time that they do on the job, that they're working on the job, that they waste the equivalent of $192.4 billion worth of work each year. And a lot of that, the emphasis on the article and the study was done, 140 hours per year is spent on Facebook. When they're on the clock, when they should be doing the job, they're socializing out there instead of being fully present where they are, fully engaged in the work at hand, giving themselves fully, not eye service, not people pleasers, but giving themselves fully to the work that God's called them to do. I heard about one, one business that had everybody work out in this commons area and they had a big clock at the end of the into the corridor where everybody came in and, and the, the boss ended up putting a sign by the clock. It said, this clock will never be stolen because everybody keeps watching it. Think about that one. Loyalty. Here's the life principle for you. Loyalty publicly will earn you leverage privately. If there is a loyalty and integrity and character of soul, your boss, your supervisor, your grader, your team leader will want to hear from you. 
will believe you when they do hear from you. I was talking probably about 20 years ago as a part of a conversation in a circle of a top executive of a company. That if I mentioned you would know it. And this executive was being asked questions. And, and he said, one of, the, one of the people that was in the circle of about three or four of us, he asked the question, so how did you get to the level that you got? And he had one short answer. And I have remembered it to this day. He said, I did everything I could to make my boss look good. Everything I could, I did to make my boss look good. Now, backing up, what he said, he's being a people pleaser. He's doing it for ISOs. No, no, no. His point was, I wanted to promote my boss. So everything I did was trying to support what he needed to get his job done. To, 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 for him to look at a highest quality person that he could possibly be. I wanted to make him look good. And because of that, he helped me move forward in the company. But the problem is, so many of us look at self. Well, my boss doesn't recognize me. My grader doesn't honor me. My team coach doesn't lead, what, whatever the case may be. What if we took it? I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to let my leader lead. And I'm not just going to give eye service, and I'm not just going to be a people pleaser. But notice what he said there at the end. But with sincerity of heart. A sincere heart on the job, giving your best. Leads me to number two. Excellence in your efforts. On a mark, a follower of Christ. Excellence in your efforts. I'm not saying perfectionist. Because perfectionists, you will never arrive there. You might work for a perfectionist. They might call themselves a person who strives for excellence, but you work for a perfectionist. I'll let you kind of grapple with those two. But a perfectionist is you, you're never good enough. It's never, 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 never. Excellence is different. Excellence does speak to quality. But it speaks to the heart of it. If my kids... If my child is able to earn a, 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 a B, let's say, but he settles or she settles for a C, I'm not happy. If the best they could do was a C and they get a C, I am more than happy because they gave their best. Giving your best, now hear this, giving your best to the best because he deserves the best is excellence. Giving your best. My boss isn't my best. Well, you hold it. This is where we need to clarify. You're no longer working for that person. Oh, that person may sign your paycheck, but if you're a follower of Christ, you're not working for that person. Let's see, let's see who you're working for. Verse 17. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. So who you're really trying to please, who you're really trying to honor, is the name of the Lord. As a follower of Christ, is this the best I could do because I'm giving my best to the best because He deserves the best? I'm giving my best, a hard-earned day, whatever it is. I know it may be, you look at P&L sh- spreadsheets all day long. It could be about uh, decreasing margin here and cutting losses here and reorganizing here. Listen, listen, are you giving your best to your best? Because here's what excellence does. Excellence 
honors God and it inspires people. People want to be a part of what excellence is. Now, I mentioned there, whatever you do, that's verse 17. Now, if you go down to verse 23, where we just read earlier, it says it again. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. In, in, the, in the Colossians, uh, in the message version, it says, what, what, for, work from your heart for the, your real master. But I want us to zero in on that phrase, whatever you do. Whatever you, I don't care if you're a ditch digger. I don't care if you're an engineer who designed the ditch. I don't, I don't care if you're a teacher or you're a student of the teacher. Whatever you do, this applies to us. Whatever I do, if you write music or you sing music or you, you, you buy things or you sell things, whatever you do, we need to do it with all our heart. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, whatever it is that I am about. I want us to read Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 together. Read it with me. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Notice that God expects us to give our best to the best. He's the best because he deserves our best. Verse 23, would you just follow along? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Have you ever imagined that your work could be a part of your worship? But it can. Whenever I take excellence and make it a part of me, whenever I take the concept that I am, I am serving the Lord as I'm, as I'm working, I'm doing my work for the, whatever I do in word or deed, I do it for the Lord. Whatever I do, I do it heartily as for the Lord, not for man. Whatever, I, whatever I'm doing, it's for the Lord. So now what happens is when I get up on Monday morning, I didn't just worship on Sunday morning, I'm now worshiping on Monday morning because I become the loyal employee, the loyal student, the loyal whatever it is that you do in your life, team player, And I become the one who's bringing excellence, bringing my very, 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 very best to the table. Every day, as much as I can, all the time. Number three, third work ethic is an awareness of your accountability. Just a simple awareness that that I'm accountable for the life that I live and the work that I give. St. Benedict said in, in Latin, and I'll try to pronounce it, ora et labora, which means play and work, or pray and work. Pray and work. And what St. Benedict was trying to say in that phrase was work is essential to the spiritual life, and the spiritual life gives meaning to the work of the life that we live. Verse 23, we just read, I want to read it again. Whatever you do, work heartily. Everything that's in you. You're giving your best to your best because he deserves the best. Work heartily as for the Lord. Okay, notice as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, again, you will receive an inheritance as your reward. 
You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer who is, will be paid back for, for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Hey, masters, bosses, employers, VPs, whatever rank you are, directors, senior directors, masters, treat your bondservants or your employees justly and fairly, knowing, hey, you're not excluded here. You have a master that's going to hold you accountable. What if we took on the role that I realized that the life that I live, the work that I do, that God's going to hold me accountable for it. That that God's going to reward me when I need rewarding. That God's going to hold back when I need to be held back. You know, have you ever thought about not so much promoting yourself and letting your life promote you? Letting your character and integrity promote you? Letting your excellence promote you? Letting your life speak for you? How does that happen? Whenever I realize that the God of the universe gave everything for me. See, so many people live their lives on a career path. And some of y'all do this on a regular basis. You break out your resume. You update your LinkedIn account. You're checking it out. How am I looking out there? How's the world seeing me? You're, you're, you're looking at it and you're, and you're charting yourself and you're thinking, okay, in the next five years I need to be here and I need to go there and I need to rub shoulders with that person and I want to get that, uh, that accolade and whatever. Okay, you, you got your own career path that you're on. You know what the word career means? Well, it's appropriate to say career path because it just means road, pathway. And some of us have our five-year pathway five-year road and it's going to have some potholes and we're going to be deterred and we're going to be dead end on sometimes but have you ever thought about taking on a vocation instead of a career because there's there's i know they sound the same career is one thing and vocation and that's the same thing no they're two totally different things one is a is a path that you choose a path that you you manipulate a path that you network and that you make sure you're taken care of because you got to look out for you. But a vocation is something different. Vocation is very etymology of the word. It's a Latin word meaning calling. That God calls you to something and that you literally follow His promptings and you let Him guide the path and open the doors. Read Proverbs. Didn't I say that already? Let him steer you. A good worker will be recognized from bosses and kings and presidents. What, what, if we, what if we got off our career path and we got on the vocational track and we allowed God to begin to shape us? And I love it that we in our church here, we say, hey, listen, we want you, wherever you work, learn, play. Wherever you go about your day-to-day life, I want you to do it. We want you to do it all because whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. So wherever you work, learn, play, wherever it is. I love it that we had a young lady in our church several years ago. She was 23, 24 at the time. I don't know. But she had a career path, and she was a nurse in a regional hospital. 
But God gave her a vocation. And that vocation led her from the comforts of her own society to the discomforts of living among an Islamic culture where she loved. And she went, and she's back now, but she was going for good. And I'm just anticipating. I don't know what God's going to do, but I can guarantee you Aubrey will be on a vocational track more than a career path. I love it. You know, you get, some people go, oh yeah, but she's 20 and 23 and, you know, she's got her own life. She's not married and she's, she's got, you know, she, she's got probably student loans and no 401k and no long-term career path planned out, but she's willing to go with a vocation and trust God with the rest. Okay, okay that's not a good example for you. Let me take a man, a husband and wife in our church who for nine years worked for Big Blue and I'll let you figure out who Big Blue is and then 12 years served Big Blue selling to Big Blue and God began to lay on their hearts maybe opening up a business maybe leaving that a total career pathway and going over here and doing food industry and doing a food truck And Jay and Melanie in this room, they felt led by God a vocational calling, a shift to go from career pathway to vocational calling. And I love it how he's got this food truck out there and it's incredible food. And you know what? In this culture of obesity and sickness, it's great to have an organization, a company, a vocation where I'm going to provide healthy food. But it's not just that. I love it that Jay and Melanie, you go up and you read the menu you'll find on there the Dino sandwich. Now, I want to encourage you to get the Dino sandwich next time you go, okay? Next time you see the food truck, just pull up beside of it and say, pull over, make me a Dino. Uh, Dino is a Mozambican church planner that Jay and I met last year, and he's got a sandwich named after him on the, on the locomotive. I'm not trying to promote business here. I'm not trying to make Aubrey a saint. But what I am trying to do is show you whenever you get off the career path and you get on the vocational track, you might do some crazy things, some wild and crazy things. But it could be the most freeing. And the opportunity for you, incredible. John Ortberg said it like this. A calling, which is something I do for God, is replaced by a career happens many times in our culture which threatens to become my God a career is something I choose for myself a calling is something I receive a career is something I do for myself a calling is something I do for God a career promises status and money or power a calling generally promises difficulty and even some suffering and the opportunity to be used by God. Okay, Mike. I'm not ready to leave my career and I'm not ready to change paths. Is that what it means? No. It can mean as simple as this. Just taking verse 8 lifestyles off and putting on verse 12. 
and you getting up tomorrow morning and putting on your happy pants and putting on your happy face and going to your job, your vocation, and going with compassionate heart and going with kindness and going with humility and going with meekness and going with patience and let your new life become your new reputation so this world will see a new you because of the impact of the gospel in your life. Be transformed and allow those who work around you to see the difference in you. Would you bow your heads with me? For some, it will be an attitude adjustment. Just simply putting on kindness and taking off anger. For others, it may mean a Jay and Melanie move to where you don't take that job or you don't take that promotion because you know that if you take that promotion, it's going to take time away from your faith, your family. It's going to interrupt what God wants to do in you and what God wants to do through you. What does it mean for you to allow the gospel to impact your life even at the point of your job? Well, if God and Jesus is not first in your life, you're missing it. Let's start there. Let me pray. Father God, you know our hearts. You know the many voices of our life, the distractions, the spreadsheets, the the alarms that will go off, the notifications that will come in, the emails that will send our inboxes this evening, the spreadsheets that are due tomorrow morning. And Lord, you know, you know, you know it all. And we want to give our all to what you've called us to. With a heart of gratitude, giving our best to the best because you deserve the best. And may our work be worship to you. God forbid that we worship our work. Do your work now in us as we center our life, our hearts, our minds on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?